Ordinary people, extraordinary faith. Extraordinary faith, ordinary people. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever needed God? Now, I know that question is a resounding yes, but I want you to think just for a second on a little deeper level than the surface yes question. Have you ever needed God in situations or felt like you have more than others? You see, the truth is, is that the resounding surface answer is the correct answer. Yes. Not only do we need God in the times that are difficult for us, we need God all the time. But have you ever found it difficult to trust Him sometimes? It's easy to say that you won't, and it's... It's easy to say that we do trust God all the time until a huge situation is standing before us. One that we didn't ask for, nor do we want. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 28 and 29 today. Just two verses. But two verses about two stories that are huge that were huge in the life of the Israelites, but that are huge in our lives today. One has lasting effects in the Passover. We sang this morning, Pastor Teddy, awesome job about the blood and the effect that it's had on us. But these two stories are, are huge. And, and the writer of Hebrews, as we're, as we're talking about faith and in this series of faith, in fact, this is the 11th sermon, this is the 11th teaching we've had in this chapter alone. Not by sight. We walk not by sight, but by faith. Ordinary people, extraordinary faith. Extraordinary faith, ordinary people. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. He said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We, the people of God, the, 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 the people who have been chosen by God, the people who have surrendered their lives to God, the people who have heard the gospel and accepted that gospel, we walk by faith. We live. The word walk means to live or to exist. This is just how our life is. It's not something we program. It's not something that we have to uh, get up and, and, and take notes for and, and go down the list and check off. We live by faith. It's by faith. This word faith means to trust One of my seminary professors, he said he wishes that the word faith was a verb. Now, it is a verb, kind of, because we say believe or trust because it means the same thing. And that's the realm that we're talking about. But faith is usually a noun in our language. Oh, that we could faith things, right? Not just have faith, but that we could faith it. That we could believe that God is going to do what he said. That he is going to get us through everything because it was his plan to begin with. That there is nothing that comes to us that he didn't know about. Here's the thing. Intellectually, we believe that, right? But practically, when we're in that situation, sometimes it's difficult. Here's the way we've said it over the past few weeks. Faith is not a decision I make, but it's a life I live. 
We walk by faith, not by sight. Here's basically what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians. Christians, people who are followers of God, are to live by faith. That's what we do. So in the light of this, in chapter 11, the book of Hebrews, in those last two verses, what a premier chapter for us to be looking at, talking about faith, what it looks like and what it is. Look at verses 28 and 29 this morning. The Bible says, by faith he, now the context here is Moses, we've, we've talked about Moses the last couple of sermons. He, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. And what we see here is is just a brief synopsis, just a a, a mention, if you will, of two of the greatest stories in the history of Christianity and the Bible and in the life of Moses. But to properly put this in perspective, I've got to go back just a a smidgen back to the Old Testament in Exodus. We're not going to turn there. You don't have to turn there. Let me just tell you the story of the context of how we got where we are when we're talking about these two verses. The setting here is that the Israelites are not in the promised land anymore. They're not in Israel. They're in Egypt. They're in captivity there. And there's a whole other... Go back and read Exodus 1 through 10. And that'll catch you up somewhat. Go back in Genesis 2. We don't have time for all that. But the setting is they are in captivity. Listen to me. There are two million of them in captivity. I was talking to my my youngest two children, uh, Mary, who uh, is 10, and Caden, who is 8. And yesterday I said, guys, how many... How many people do you think there were that crossed the Red Sea? Like, like how many Israelites were there? And Kate was like, oh, there were probably a hundred. And Mary goes, no, 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 many more than that, probably a thousand. More than that. Moses tells us that the men were 650,000, just the men. Not including the women and the children. There were close to approximately somewhere in the neighborhood of two million people who were slaves. Their job was to build. Their their job was to to prop up the Egyptians, to make all of anything that they needed. That was their job. They were slaves. They didn't have their own freedom. They didn't have their own country. They were in Egypt. But God had promised to Abraham, if you remember in the Old Testament, to give them a promised land. (laughs) Can I just say... Egypt wasn't the promised land. They had heard the stories, but they had been here for almost 430 years at this point. People had died. Many generations had passed away. They had heard the stories, but many people had passed on. To the point where maybe they had almost thought, we're not going to get out. The longer it went, the, the more Pharaoh was difficult on them. He he made it harder for them. And harder and harder. And the people cried out to God, please get us out of Egypt. And so God did. He raised up a man named Moses. Raises a baby. There was an edict that came down from Pharaoh that said, all boys, not firstborn boys, all boys, born to the Hebrews, will die. Moses' mom took him, put him in a a basket, pushed him in the Nile River where an Egyptian lady, which was actually the daughter of Pharaoh, found him, brought him to herself because she wanted a baby. 
figured out that she couldn't take care of him well because she couldn't nurse him, gave him back to actually his mother to nurse. Moses grows up for a few years there. But when the time comes to give him back, his mom actually does give him back to Pharaoh. And he grows up as basically an Egyptian. He's educated in the Egyptian system. He thinks in the Egyptian way, but he's still a Hebrew. In fact, uh, what happens later on is that he grows up. He's a man now. He notices that there's a, 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 a Hebrew man who's being beat up by an Egyptian man. You remember what happens? He kills the Egyptian. Pharaoh finds out about this and, and, and wants to kill Moses. Moses then runs away for years, goes into the wilderness for years. There he finds a wife. I'm going fast here. You're going to have to go back and read Genesis and, and Exodus, okay? He, he, he finds a wife there. He has children there. And here's what God does. God says, Moses, I have a job for you. And, and listen, before I move on too quickly past this, that was Moses' purpose. But he has one for you too. Every one of us. He raises up Moses and says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. And Moses did what we do, right? I can't do that. That's, I don't think you know me, Lord. I'm not good. In fact, I, you know, I killed a guy and when I go back, what's going to happen to me? It, it, it's not, it's not going to be good. But Moses had one message for Pharaoh. God said, let my people go. So you know what Pharaoh does, right? Pharaoh says, "Mm -mm." no. You see, that's not good enough because I don't worship your God and you guys are staying where you are. Moses said, that's not going to be good because God told me that he's going to start to send plagues. And it's not going to be good for you. So Pharaoh basically says, bring it on. And so that's what happens. Bring it on. Nine plagues in a row. Anything from uh, uh, hail to pestilence to the dying of cows to darkness. The, turning of the, the first one was the turning of the Nile River into blood. All of those actually signified a God that was in the life of the Egyptians that God was killing. Go back and study that some other. There's a whole other. Whole other. Two verses got way too much in them for just 45 minutes. You know, uh, or 30. Did I say 45? <clears throat> So the nine happened. And the Egyptians and the Israelites both took part in those nine. The locusts didn't just stay in Egypt. Now, now listen to me. The tenth one, though, God wanted to rescue them from. The Hebrews, that is. And this tenth plague is what we're going to talk about today in this first verse. This tenth plague was the plague where, listen to this. Every, and this is what God said, every firstborn not just of the, uh, of the Egyptians, but of the, of, of, of the cattle too, would die. And, and what he promised um, Moses was that, but the Hebrews won't be touched if you follow and have faith in what I'm asking you to do. Otherwise, everybody dies who's a firstborn. I was telling my, this story to my kids this week, because I always practice on them first. <laughs> Find out if it's going to take at all. And I said, you know, um, all the firstborns were going to die. My son said, Daddy, that's you. 
I mean, think about it. If you're a firstborn in this room, firstborn son, all of them would perish. Now, here's the thing. Pharaoh had a firstborn son. This was another God. You say, Tom, you said all the plagues had a God. What was the God in the tent? Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a God. Not only was Pharaoh a God, Pharaoh's son was a God. And so here we sit at the precipice of this, and it brings us right back to 29. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that you say, well, Tom, what is the Passover? Here's what it is. In Exodus chapter 12, the Bible tells us. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to tell you that story, too, for time. Here's what God said. Go tell the people, here's what I want them to do. So that they won't die with the rest of Egypt and all the the cattle. Here's, Here's what they should do. Take a lamb. Kill it. Now, now, now listen, this was new to them, okay? This, was not, this wasn't something they did every week. Take a lamb, kill it. Listen to this. Catch the blood. Catch the blood. But it doesn't stop there. Eat the lamb. Eat it all. If there's anything left over, burn it. It, it, it need not stay to the next day. And furthermore, be ready to go. Because on the signal, when I give the signal, when the shout is made, when the, when the, when the whistle is blown, we are leaving Egypt. Listen, do you, do you hear in Moses what, it, what the writer of Hebrews is saying about faith here? God said, if you will take this blood, put it on the doorpost and the lintel, the, the top of the door and the two doorposts, if you will do that, listen to this, I will pass over you. And no one who's a firstborn in your home will die. Make sure you tell all the Hebrews that. I love this about Moses, right? He just believed. You say, Tom, it's easy to believe. Moses, he like heard from God. Wasn't he the guy on the, you know, the mountain with the stones and stuff? And there was ten. And, I mean, that was easy for him. He like talked to God. Listen. Think about how ridiculous this sounds. That's going to do it? Me taking lamb's blood, putting it on the doorpost, is going to make us okay? That's the only difference between us and the Egyptians? The, The blood? Now listen. That's the difference today. That's the difference today. Moses just believed, didn't he? Moses, I'm God. Here's what I want you to do. You know what he did? Exactly what God said. Go tell the people. He went and told the people. The people put it on the door. And you know what happened, right? He passed over. This gave Moses great influence. But listen, don't bypass this. Moses just believed. See, I said just because while it seems to be not so simple in our flesh, it really is simple. Here's our first truth today. When believers walk by faith, they don't doubt that God will do what he says he will do. When believers, when followers of God walk by faith, Trusting Him. Believing in what He has said. We don't doubt that God will do what He says He will do. You know, I I thought about 
actually, Pastor um, uh, Neil reminded me of this today. We really need Andy here to sing, He's Able. Because He is. When God, listen, listen close now. Because this goes right over our head, because you know, we're like Christians, and, and you know, I got this. I, I, got, I know, I know, I know. No, no, I don't think we do. When He says it, it is true. When he says something is going to happen, trust me, it is going to happen. Go throughout the scripture, you'll find it over and over and over and over. And when Moses looked at the people, he said, here's what you do. They did it. God passed over. You know how many other things in scripture when God says this is what's going to happen has happened? More than 330 something some odd prophecies in the Old Testament All but just a few have already happened. And I'm telling you, listen, our city is 95% lost. That's that's what I hear, right? Here's the reality. The last few won't be good for those who don't know. Because Jesus said, I will return. I'm counting on it. Anybody else with me? Oh, he's coming back. But the Bible says that Moses, he just had faith. By faith, he said this thing called the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, I'm just going to do it. His faith turned into obedience. Listen, it's easy to say I have faith and put no practical outworking toward it. It's easy to say, I believe. Listen, the Bible says that even the devil believes that Jesus is who he said he was. There is no practical outworking toward that fact. William Barclay said this, Our failure and our fear is often due to the fact That we try to do things alone. The secret of victorious living is to face God before we face men. You say, Tom, what does this this quote have to do with what we're talking about today? Do you know what was different about Moses and what helped him believe? Listen, if you've been here at Hope Long, you will be able to preach this message. He had a relationship with God. See, before he went to the Israelites... To the congregation, he went to God. When God said it, he just believed it. This relationship with God that he had dictated what he did. So here's my question today. Do you know him personally? Listen, oh my gosh, man. Don't for one second talk about something you did or you thought. Or like the Bible says that the devil even recognizes God. What is your life like today? You have not always been a Christian. That's impossible. We were born into sin. And there must be a day when we've given our life to Him. There ha- Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because there's, there's a really good point at the end I want to give you. 
Chuck Swindoll says this, our greatest struggle is not in the... Now listen, this is a great quote. I want you to take this one to heart, okay? Get your iPhones out and make a picture of it if you can't write that fast. <laughs> our greatest struggle is not in the realm of understanding the will of God. People say, Tom, I just want to understand what the will of God is. Here's what Chuck says. It is in the realm of obeying the God whose will it is. When we look back at our lives, we do not find ourselves puzzled and mystified about God's will nearly as much as we find ourselves stubborn and resistant to the one directing our steps. See, our problem is not that we need to know what the will is. The problem is, is we don't want to follow the one whose will it is. We have our own thing going on. There's a lot of flesh in us. We want to figure things out on our own. We are stubborn. Swindoll says we're resistant. He goes on to say our problem is not that we don't know. Our problem is that we do know, but we aren't willing to follow through. We do know. Listen, we can say it all day long. And I, I, I don't know where the clock is. Somebody help me out before I go over. Y'all are in charge. Let me know. We can say it all day long. Our city is lost. What we do out there is as important as what we do in here. My heart is broken. Man, I've thought about it all week. We want to get deep in God. We want to know God, but we are very insensitive to those who don't. God will do what he says he will do. When I was 11, I knew when I, when I gave my life to Christ, before I gave my life to Christ, I knew that my grandfather was lost. My grandfather is actually in heaven now. I can say that. But he gave his life to Christ two years before he passed away. He was in his late 70s. I went for almost 30 years hoping and begging, and I just kept holding on to the promise that God will do what he says he's going to do. And I'll never forget the phone call my mom called and said, you won't believe it, your grandfather just asked Jesus to save him. And I'm telling you, I was a mess. But God will do what he says he will do. Do we truly believe that? Listen, ordinary people, extraordinary faith. Extraordinary faith. Just, and God's not asking. Moses was just a guy, just like us, who didn't think he could do it. what were the results of the faith? Well, the Hebrews left Israel, but none of the firstborn died either. That were from Israel. Here was the bottom line. They either put their blood on the doorpost or they didn't. They either did or they didn't. The choice made by every individual family resulted in the action taken today. And I'm telling you, it's the same exact way today. The blood equaled the Passover. No blood equal death. Listen to me. Today, for us, sitting in this room and all across this city and this country and this world, the difference is the blood. The blood causes the Passover still, but no blood causes death. When believers walk by faith, they don't doubt that God will do what he says that he will do. And I'm just here to tell you, and we could just get a, a, a hallelujah, amen from most people in this room. He will do what he says he will do. The next story that we, that we come across here in, in chapter 11, verse 29, is the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. Let me just give you a brief synopsis on that. 
After they were released, remember Moses said, "Here's," and I don't remember if I finished telling this story. He said, gird your loins and, and have your sandals on because when I make the noise, we're leaving. This wasn't normal for them. They were in their, ho- they were in their homes. He said, gather the gold and the silver. You need to take that with you too. He had them prepared. And when, when the Passover happened, when God passed over them, Mo, uh, Pharaoh called them in and said, Moses, get out of here. And so that's what they did. He said, all right, guys, time to go. I don't know how you get two million people together. It was an awesome communication plan that I'm sure we could write a whole leadership book on. But they got them all out. And they all left. And, man, they were happy. You ever seen the Charlton Heston movie? You know what I'm talking about? Ten Commandments. You know, I love that. I love it. It's not exactly right spot on, but it's really good. They're all leaving. They're singing. And, you know, there's two million right? So they get out there and they find themselves kind of cornered in a cul-de-sac, if you will. (laughs) They're like, okay, we're here. Oh, not here because there's the Red Sea. Let's turn around and go back. And when they look, Pharaoh had a change of mind and heart. He said, wait a minute. Not only did all of the Hebrews leave, two million of them, who's going to do all of our work? Who's going to make our bricks? Who's going to put together the homes? Not only that, We lost a lot of people in this. Because it wasn't just firstborn children that died, it was just firstborn. We got to go do something about this. So he got the armies together, the the army together, he got all the chariots and they went for him. And so when the Israelites get in the cul-de-sac and turn around, guess who's sitting behind them? They can't get out. There's nowhere to go. The, The Israelites are trapped by the Egyptians. Here they are. The Israelites had one of three choices, and none looked promising at the time. Turn around and go back and let the Egyptians kill us. Hopefully we can beg and be their slaves, but probably they're, they're, some of us aren't going to make it out. Secondly, we, we better learn how to swim really fast and with a lot of energy, because it's a long sea, 14 miles at the shortest part. Or... Maybe God's got a different plan. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been at the Red Sea, looked back, and had the Egyptian army behind you? Have you ever been there? Listen, if you haven't, you will be. So just take notes right here. The Red Sea's in front of you. You can't get across. But behind you is the Egyptian army who wants to slaughter you at best and at worst take you back into slavery where you don't need to be. It's not the promised land. That almost seems like a good idea other than being killed, I guess, because you know the impossibility. Listen to me. The impossibility of the Red Sea moving. The Bible says in verse 29 in chapter 11, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Listen to this. As by dry land. Like it was dry land. Through it like it was dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Here's truth number two. And by the way, there's only two. So, (laughs) When believers walk by faith, they are prepared to attempt the impossible at the command of God. Now listen. In your flesh, you will never do this. Because we'll calculate, especially people like, I don't know if this is you, but... You know, 
smarter people than me say this, which there's a lot of smart people out there. You're probably in here. You're either a left side or a right side brain kind of guy or lady, right? You're either the analytical type or, I don't even know what the other type is because I'm the analytical type. <laughs> so here's what I do. I start thinking of all the things. I, in our staff meetings, I have to be quiet because I'm, I'm like the guy who's shooting, you know, pull, boom. You know, I'm shooting all the ideas down because I'm going down the list of all the things that have to happen to make that occur. You know, I mean, I'm like that kind of guy. When I get to the Red Sea, I'm going, um, this is not good. This is not good. But we're not talking about an ordinary God. We're talking about an extraordinary God. They weren't going to die at the hands of the Egyptians. They weren't going to have to have to learn to swim really fast. God had a plan. He had it all arranged ahead of time. He was exactly where God wanted him to be. It was going to build their faith. It was going to make them trust him more. Now, it doesn't seem like that at the outset because one of the things they say is, Moses, Moses, what have you done? Why have you brought us out here to die? Now, these are the people going, ah, Now they're saying, what have you done? It's kind of funny the way they say it, the, the, the way the writer of Hebrews says it. He says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. One of the commentators I read said that that was kind of a charitable thing to say because the truth was is that the Israelites really didn't have that much faith. It was Moses who had the faith. Because when they said that to him, when they said to him, why have you brought us here? Have you brought us here to die? We would rather go back and serve the Egyptians as to die out here in the wilderness. Moses didn't say, yeah, me too. No, he didn't. Here's what he said. Just follow me. God is about to do something. God said, Moses, take your staff and raise it. And when Moses raised the staff, the sea parted. This is not a little creek. This is not a little stream. This is not even a river. This is a, a basically, if you were to look across it, an ocean. Listen, six, this is what scientists tell us. At its lowest point, 600 feet deep. At the lowest point. At the highest point, more than 7,000. Now, where most think they went across, it was actually around 1,600 feet deep. Let me give you a visual of that. Taller than the stratosphere by 500 feet. I will say, there, that might be where it took faith. <laughs> the Egyptian army behind me, that's one thing. But man, I've got 1,600 feet of gushing water on both sides. God had the plan. Listen, you want to talk about an impossible feat? Not just getting across, but the raising this water. Here's what God did. The Bible tells us in chapter 14. He led them to the wilderness. I don't want you to forget that part. God will lead you there. But he's not leaving you there. He's leaving you there so that he can do what he did with the cloud. If you go back and read it, the Bible says that the cloud of, that led them by day and the fire that had led them by night led them. But listen to this. It was in front of them. 
all of a sudden, when the Egyptians show up, God takes the cloud and puts it behind them to protect them from the Egyptians. God led them there, but he didn't leave them there alone. He was still with them. He was still protecting them. There was still a protection that God had thought of that they would never have thought of. What a God. You say, Tom, God wouldn't do that to me. Yeah, he will. He will lead you to the wilderness. Can I get an amen from anybody? We know he will lead us there, but he, he has led us there to know him better. He has led us there so that we can trust him more. Isn't it a freeing thing to trust God? Isn't it a freeing thing to believe in him? Isn't it a freeing thing to know him better because of things that you have to go through? God didn't say we wouldn't go through them. He said his power would sustain us through them. And we will see things at the Red Sea that we would never see had the Passover not happened. Now I want you to think with me for just a second. Okay, we're almost finished. People want the Red Sea experience. Not, they don't want to go through the turmoil of it, but they want to see something miraculous, right? But I'm telling you, the Red Sea never happens if salvation doesn't happen. If the Passover didn't happen, the Israelites would have never been to the Red Sea. When you study these two verses, verbs are huge in the Greek language. Verbs tell us so much about what the writer was trying to say, more than just the word itself. The way he wrote it and the the endings that he puts on these words are phenomenal. And here, in these two verses, there are two different endings on the main verbs in these. And I'm not telling you this to try to give you a lesson or anything like that. I I just want you to see this. That in the first one with the Passover, it was in the perfect tense. Here's what the perfect tense means. It means that it was something that happened, but it has lasting effects. The Passover. The blood that Jesus passed over. The lamb, the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost. The blood of the lamb that covers us. It happened, but listen, it has lasting effects. The second one, speaking of the crossing of the Red Sea, is in the aorist tense. And here's what that means. It happened. That's it. It just happened. Stuff happens. Red Sea's coming. But I'm telling you, what's going to get through the Red Sea is not the Red Sea. It's the Passover. It was Moses' faith that got them there. Kent Hughes said this, One man's faith can be so authentic and effectual that it can elevate a whole people and secure their deliverance. You see, the Israelites... While they were grumbling and complaining, the truth was is they were actually following Moses' lead. Listen, it's okay to follow a leader's vision. Listen closely. Don't, don't misquote me here, okay? To follow a leader's vision who follows God. It's okay. In fact, it's right. If your leader's following God, follow him. That's what they did with Moses. They said, Moses is following God. I'm following him. I don't know what. I'd like to die out here. I think I might. 
I would, maybe we're going back. I don't know. But Moses says, go, we're going. Can you imagine their dismay when the waters begin to, when that wind came and the waters begin to recede and begin to go up 1,600 feet on both sides? Can you imagine that? You say, Tom, but man, there's just, there's some irony here because that same dry land that the two, I don't even know how long this took, you know, two million people to walk across at least 14 miles of property. The Egyptians, the clouds lifted, they go right in too, right? On the dry land. Here's the irony. It it didn't work out for them. Here's what I, I want you to know about that. When two do the same thing, it's not the same thing. You say, Tom, you just said when two do the same thing. It's not, what do you mean when two do the same thing, it's not the same thing? Here's what I mean. The Israelites went through the Red Sea on dry ground. So the Egyptians said, hey, we can do that too. But listen to me. The difference in the Passover, the difference in the Red Sea are both the same. Faith, no faith. Belief in God, no belief in God. Trust in him, no trust in him. And what made the difference was just that. They trusted God enough to put the door. They trusted God enough that when they came to that cul-de-sac right there at the Red Sea, they, God, provided the way. And when they went through, the army couldn't chase them because God had a plan. Here's the thing. He's got a plan for us too. That's all good if you're a Christian, what I just said. But what if you're not? Because we're like, hallelujah, woo, Red Sea, yes, Passover, wow. But what if, you're, what if you're not a believer? What if you're not? Listen, the Passover lamb then, remember what I told you? Perfect tense, it happened. It's got lasting effects. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross, still available today. Yeah, that was a lamb. That was an actual lamb with the doorpost and the whole Passover. But listen to me. Jesus' blood is still in effect for those who will accept him today. And upon your leaving this earth, he will pass over. And you will still have life. The Red Sea, what made the difference? They walked through dry land. Some made it, some didn't. What was the difference? Faith. Not faith in believing God can do, even though He can. But they had placed their faith and trust and belief in the God who can save. The difference in both. So here's what I want to give to you today. We say this all the time. So much of our cities lost. And most of them obviously aren't in this building today. But you might be. Maybe you came with a friend. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you just struggle. Maybe you're one of those people that I mentioned just a moment ago who says, I've always been a Christian. Listen, I love you enough to say this to you. You haven't. If you think you've always been a Christian, I want to say this as delicate as I can in love, and I, I mean this, then you still aren't. Because there's no such thing as anybody who was born Christian. Being a Hebrew did not save the Hebrews. It didn't do it. Being Jesus' mother did not save her. There was a decision of the will. 
from every person who hears the gospel. So here's what I want to offer to you today. You can know him personally. You can accept his provision for the penalty of your sin. And at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to do just that. It's going to be a little bit weird maybe, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Because I don't want to give you the truth and have you walk out and not know. Two things I want to leave you with today to remember, and then we're gone. Number one, trusting in anything does not equal trusting God. Do do, do do you hear what I'm saying? I, I I don't care if it's another religion, another faith, another God. I don't care if it's your money. I don't care if it's your job, if it's your spouse, if it's another person. More than likely, it's, it's you. We trust in us, right? Number one, trusting in anything does not equal trusting in God. It was the difference in Israel and Egypt. And number two, God will do what he says he will do. Our only responsibility is to trust him. You know, I don't know where God's taking me tomorrow, but I know he knows. I don't know what God is going to put me through. I don't know what God is going to allow me to see. I don't know what blessing God has before me, but here's what I do know. He knows. Our job is to not just intellectually trust him, but to obey him in that trust.